Another wonderful good evening to all those that are here with us tonight. And again, welcome to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence even tonight. We do want to express appreciation for each person that is present tonight and for those that are online as well. Again, if you're visiting, as always, we want you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. If we look at 1 Samuel 15 tonight, I want us to look at the title of our sermon called the A Dereliction of Duty. That's very interesting because that is actually a specific offense according to the United States Code, Title 10, Section 892, Article 92, for all of our U.S. military, that they are not to do anything that would go against the commands or the articles of commands by the U.S. military, a dereliction of duty. But tonight, we find that in both the Old and the New Testaments, it encourages us as to do what? Obedience to God. You see, in the same way the military are supposed to be obedient to the commands that have been given them, we're to be obedient to God. Now, it's interesting to see that Jesus, when he began his public ministry, he had emphasized the very importance of obeying the will of Almighty God. Well, of course, we know Matthew 7 and verse 21, where Jesus said that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And then John in the Revelation, in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, before he laid aside the very pen of inspiration, had closed by encouraging people of every age to be obedient to God. He said, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And as you know, Saul had been anointed king over Israel. And in 1 Samuel 15, we find that God is giving this man, Saul, a very specific order to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And in this text, we find Saul's response to that task that was given before him. We're talking about an individual who was a derelict in his duty before God. The first thing that we notice is the directive or the command that was actually given by God himself to Samuel, the prophet. And Samuel, in turn, relayed this message to King Saul. Go back and look at verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remembered that which Amalek did to Israel. 
when we talk about the basis for this command, we find that in verses 2 and 3, he gives us insight into why God wanted the Amalekites destroyed. If you go back to Deuteronomy 25, you'll find that Moses there recounts of when the people of God had left the Egyptian bondage and of how the Amalekite people had attacked them. As a matter of fact, Moses said that the Amalekites attacked them from the rear. And thus, those who, are, who were straggling, those who were weary, they were the ones who fell prey to the Amalekite people at that time. And so God said, once you get into the land and possess it, and once God has given you rest, I want you to utterly blot out these people. And so in 1 Samuel 15, that's exactly what God is calling upon King Saul to do. Look at verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek, Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. I want you to underline that. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telang, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And so here is this directive. Here is this divine command, if you will, given by Almighty God. Now notice the disobedience or the dereliction of duty, the contempt of Saul. Notice what he said beginning in verse 6. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So first of all, you have the soldiers and their attack and then the sparing of Agag and the spoil of the Amalekites. Notice what he says in verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. And so we can just see right here, automatically, the disobedience of King Saul God had said, I want you to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. But the Bible tells us that Saul did not heed the very divine command of Almighty God. So now we think in the third place of the disappointment. 
When I think about the disappointment, it's reflected in two verses or in two ways. Sometimes when we think about being disappointed, there is the hurt that accompanies the disappointment, isn't there? It's reflected in the life of Samuel and also in, reflected in the mind of God. Look at verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I had set up Saul to be king. For he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Saul, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So, here we have God relating to Samuel that this command that he had given to Saul to execute, and he failed. He failed to execute the command. And so by way of disappointment, we understand that deity was hurt. Whenever we choose to disobey the very commands of God, being the, ultimately, we're just hurting the very heart of God, aren't we? The Bible sometimes speaks of God being grieved over the sins of mankind. I think about in Genesis 6 when God had decreed that he was going to destroy the world by a flood. The universal flood. The Bible says in Genesis 6, 5 and 6 that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart Man's heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Now it's true that this was a disappointment to Samuel, the prophet. The one who had anointed Saul as king, but ultimately it was a disappointment to God, right? God had installed Saul as king, and yet here is Saul disobeying God's word. I'm reminded of his successor, David. David, you recall, was a man after God's own heart. And yet David made some very foolish mistakes in his life as well. Over in 2 Samuel 11, chapters 11 and 12, we read of his adulterous union with Bathsheba. Not only did he engage in an adulterous union with Bathsheba, but the Bible tells us that he had her husband Uriah killed at the forefront of the battle. Now, he sought to cover up what he had done. And so in Psalm 51, what is often called the penitential psalm, we find David saying in the long ago of verse 4, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. When we are disobedient to the will of God, uh, the will of God ultimately we hurt Almighty God. It may be true that we hurt other people. It, may be, it might be the case that we hurt our friends and, and family and neighbors. But ultimately, we're hurting the heart of God. And so I believe that Saul 
hurt God, that he disappointed God. But not only was his disobedience a disappointment to God or to deity, but it was a disappointment to God's disciple, Samuel. That is, his servant, Samuel. Look again at the latter part of verse 11. The Bible says, And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Have you ever been dis disappointed? Because of maybe the actions of a friend or a family member, or maybe somebody who is a member of the body of Christ has done something that has hurt you very bad. I can think of people that have had great talents and could have used those talents had they been harnessed in the right direction, that they could have used those talents to the very glory of Almighty God, but they chose a path that ultimately led them away from God. And thus they became a great disappointment. I think about the Apostle Paul. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul had wrote to Timothy his last inspired letter, and he talked about Demas. And Demas at one time had been a faithful servant of the Lord. He had been a co-laborer of Paul. And yet when Paul wrote in A.D. 68 to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, he said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I think Demas was a disappointment to the Apostle Paul. And I believe that King Saul was a disappointment to Samuel the prophet. You just think about somebody that you admired, that you loved, and that you appreciated. And maybe you have nurtured them. Maybe you have encouraged them. And, and they have chosen a path. But they have chosen the direction in life that led, led them away from their service to God. And thus it literally breaks your heart when you really think about it. The disappointment. But then, in the fourth place, there is the dishonesty. When you talk about sin and you talk about disobedience, you're talking about a way of Life where people begin to move away from Jehovah God. They are taking steps away from the Lord. And so now we begin to see the heart of King Saul, his corruption. But I want you to notice, first of all, his false assessment. Now, picking up back in verse 12, or picking up in verse 12, and when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on and gone down the Gigal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I, I'm... When I read that, I almost like, like, now wait a minute, what did you just say, Saul? Now, if you want to talk about a blatant lie, that was a blatant lie. 
Had he indeed performed the commands of Almighty God? Had he had done what God through the prophet had said to do to utterly destroy the Amalekites, to spare none? Now listen, if you will, to what Samuel says in verse 14. What meaneth thou this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear. Okay, Saul, now you're, you're telling me you did all that God had commanded you, but I'm hearing things that sounds like you didn't destroy all. I'm hearing sheep. I'm hearing oxen. There's an echoing sound of all the flocks of the animals to my ears. Just imagine what Samuel is thinking. You mean to tell me that you did all and yet there's this noise? There's this noise behind you? Look at verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. That's all well and good, but what did God say? God said, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Now look at verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, uh, or in other words, be quiet. And I will tell thee what the Lord had said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the Sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then thou, didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and this evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of Amalek and has utterly destroyed the Amalekites. A couple of things here. First of all, there is that false assessment. Saul said, I performed the commands of the Lord. Was that selective listening? <laughs> Possibly. But then there's the faulty assumption. The assumption is reflected in his words. Look at verse 20. He said, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and auction, the chief of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and Gigal. What was the problem here? 
Apparently Saul assumed that if he kept back the best of the spoils of the Amalekite people, that God would be pleased. That God would overlook that. That they would be able to sacrifice those things to God. And that would be acceptable. You and I must never assume that we could ever circumvent the will of God for our own will and our own wishes. Sometimes people have noble intentions. It may have been the case that Saul had noble intentions. Maybe in his heart of hearts, he, he thought that if we keep back the best of the spoil and offer those things to God, that he will be pleased and everything will be okay. The problem was, however, that God said, this is what I want you to do. Now you just think about how many people in our world today assume that God will be pleased with certain things that he has not commanded. I think about individuals in our world today when it comes to our realm of worship. For example, there are some because of their talents and because God has blessed them with certain abilities that in that, that they can come into a worship setting and engage in specific things that God has not commanded them to do. You might ask the question, well, what are you talking about? Well, what about somebody who is very talented musically? Let's say that person is very gifted as maybe a, a piano player or a guitar player or or maybe they play the harp. And, and they will say, you know what I want to do is to glorify God using my talents. That's all well and good. But the problem is, is God nowhere commanded to use instruments of music in our worship to him. Well, in fact, God did tell us what he wants us to do. And when he told us what he wants to do, that rules out anything else. I think about Noah. God told Noah in Genesis 6 through 8, but in Genesis 6, God told Noah to build an ark. And to build it out of gopher wood. Now, nowhere did I read in there that God said, now, when I said gopher wood, that means not pine, not oak, not anything else that's another kind of wood, mahogany or whatever. No, I, he said gopher wood. Not gopher wood, but gopher wood. <laughs> yeah, I knew what you were doing. 300 cubics by 30 by 15. Had you ever thought when you read that, that if Noah would have built that ark out of any other kind of wood besides that gopher wood, would it have floated? Possibly not. 
If Noah would have built that ark 301 cubits or 299 cubits instead of 300 cubits, or 31 instead of, or 29 instead of 30, or 16 or 14 instead of 15, would it have floated? Possibly not. Why? Because God has specified what he wanted. And thus we read in Genesis 6.22 that thus did all, thus did Noah all that God had commanded him to do, so did he. And it floated. Now, here the Bible says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then somebody said, well, you know, God has blessed me with a beautiful voice. Well, that's well good. And I like to stand up and maybe sing a solo, or maybe there are three or four of us, and maybe if we got together, we could put a quartet together. That should be pleasing to God, won't you think? Again, that's all well and good, but the only problem is, is that nowhere in the New Testament do we have the authority for a solo, choir, or quartet by any means. But you see, the Bible authorizes congregational singing. So you want to, if you, if you want to have a choir, here's our choir. Because that's what God authorized. Now there's the teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and spiritual psalms. Singing, not playing. They're in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody where? In your hearts to the Lord. That was the problem with King Saul, wasn't it? Sometimes we have the idea that maybe we know better than God. If it sounds pleasing to us, then it's got to sound pleasing to God. But you know what? God says, I don't care if you can carry a tune in a bucket, but if you're singing... It sounds good to me. Because why? It's coming from the heart. Yeah, that's the heart. This is just a blood pumping machine. Comes from the heart. Why? It's in obedience to God's command. Very interesting, isn't it? Now let's back up to 1 Samuel 15. Let's look at verse 3. God had said to King Saul, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And these are very important words right here. Spare them not. God speaking to Samuel, who speaks to Saul. And it's like, if you haven't heard anything else I said, Listen to these words. Spare them not. 
That means all, doesn't it? Now look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag. What? No. And the best of the sheep. Oh, couldn't stop there, could they? Another oxen. Oh, couldn't stop there. And other fatlings. Oh, the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. Whenever you hear individuals start talking about certain things in the spiritual realm and they say, but <laughs> you better watch out. Something just got in the way. What we need to do is to submit to the will of God. We may not understand it. We might necess not necessarily like it. But when God speaks and God says for us to do something, you better believe you are obligated to do it and it only. The prerequisite to entering the kingdom of heaven is what? Doing the will of the Father which is in heaven, Matthew 7, 21. We quoted that earlier. What about in the realm of salvation? Sometimes individuals will say, I just don't understand why God commands us to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It was not that very long ago that I was approached about a, by a person who talked about the thief on the cross. And they wanted to know why would we suggest that a person has to be baptized into Christ because the thief that was on the cross next to Jesus had not been baptized. And I thought, well, how do you know? How do you know that they hadn't been baptized? In Matthew chapter 5, is it Matthew 5? Matthew 3, verse 5. Matthew 3, verse 5 and 6. I'm not saying that this says the thief was baptized, but I'm going to help you understand that it's a possibility because of what he knew about Jesus, that he had been listening. In Matthew 3, verse 5, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. There's a good possibility that thief might have been in that crowd. I have just as much evidence to show you that he was baptized by that as much as you do to show me that he wasn't. But here's the thing. We all understand that in Hebrews 9, it talks about the testament, the covenant. Now, we understand our last will and testament, that we know that that doesn't go into force until when? Till you die. Jesus, while here on this earth for three to three and a half years, was setting forth his new covenant, his new testament. And guess what? He hasn't died yet. When the thief said, will you remember me when your kingdom comes? He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, Jesus said. Jesus had the power to just save everybody that was out there. In fact, he actually said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And so as soon as they repented, they would be forgiven. But once Christ died, guess what went into force? The new covenant. In the new covenant, it says what? Jesus said it on his day that he was about to ascend to the Father. He says, disciples, apostles, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I had commanded you, and lo, I be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, he gave them the great command. He gave them what they needed to do while he was away. Mark 16, 15 and 16, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Under the new covenant, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins in order to obtain the remission of sins. Guess what those Jews did on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? About 3,000 of them. In Acts 2, 42, and they that gladly received the word were baptized into Christ. And then the Lord added them to the church, Acts 2, 47. Now that's interesting, isn't it? When we just learned that's what happens under the new covenant. But guess what? The thief lived under the old covenant and not the new covenant because Jesus had not died yet. What about the work of the church? There are a lot of people in our world today that say, you know, you know what we need to do is to look out and see what the latest fad on the market is. Right? Decide what the people want and to decide what's going to draw the biggest crowd and then we'll put that into motion and thus the people will flock in. The old saying goes, if you build it, they'll come. Well, they're not coming for the right reason. They're coming to see all the glory in the building, the stained glass and the pretty steeple. They're there for the wrong reason. Now, you see, God said what we are to do is to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will come if they want to honor God's word. If we are to do what God says in his word, we don't have to make concessions to grow. I believe that, Jesus, that Isaiah had it right in Isaiah 55 and verse 11 when he said that, in, that God's word would not return to him void. You and I, we can grow and go forward for the cause of Christ in a positive way without, without making any kinds of concessions to the will of God. As a matter of fact, to concede, to back up, to turn back from following the will of God would be wrong. And so I think about the false assessment of King Saul and the faulty assumption that he had on his part. And sometimes we make faulty assumptions when it comes to the will of God. And then I want you to notice finally his dismissal. 
And really, we're talking about the consequences that faced King Saul. Look at verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. For every action, there is a reaction. The Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that's how he also reap. Galatians 6, 7. Saul has made some grave mistakes in this situation, and because of that, God is going to do some things to him that ultimately he's not going to like. What kind of consequences did King Saul face? Number one, God rejected him as being king. In other words, he was rejected by God. God removed King Saul. And somebody said, well, that can't be all that bad. I mean, all he did was just spare the very best. What's wrong with that? Well, listen again to what Samuel the prophet said in verse 22. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What is God interested in? He's interested in your obedience. Undying obedience, submission to his will. Whatever God says, that's what he wants us to do. And because Saul disobeyed God, he was rejected. Not only was he rejected, but he was removed by God. If you will read the latter part of this chapter, you know what you're going to find out? That God is setting in motion to remove Saul as king over the United Kingdom. You just think about that. Here's Saul, a man of great power, a man of prestige, a man no doubt of great wealth. And God said, I rejected you. And not only have I rejected you, but I'm going to remove, remove you. God has that kind of power. We talk about the most high ruling in the kingdoms of men and God being at work in the affairs of men. You see, God was at work in the affairs of the Israelite people. And let me tell you, he's at work today. God rejected this man, God, this man, Saul. God removed this man, Saul. And finally, God replaced this man. Look over in 1 Samuel 16. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel 16. Very, very, very important here. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. What was God saying here? God was saying that in the long ago, I am removing King Saul, and I'm replacing him with David, the son of Jesse. I think there's a lesson here for us, and the lesson is simply this. Sometimes we get to thinking that maybe we are bigger and better and more powerful than we should think. Right? 
Have you ever heard people talk about how they, they are in, indispensable? That a, a particular work could not even go on, could not even survive without them? There are people around the business that have the idea that if something happened to them, that the business is going to fold up. In the spiritual realm, there are individuals who think that they have that idea that everything revolves around them in the local church. Well, that's just not true. I want you to listen very carefully. This congregation was here before I got here. This congregation will be here after I'm gone. Six feet under or spread out over the whatever. And guess what? This congregation was here before you were here. And it'll be here long after you're gone as well. One of my past instructors, Keith Moser, said on one occasion, he said, if a man comes into a congregation and he preaches for a period of time and leaves and takes people with him, he has not done his job. The church is bigger than any man. You and I are not indispensable. If you think you're indispensable, let me just encourage you to do this. Fill up a bucket with water, right? Then put your hand down into the water. And then once you submerge your hand in the water, I want you to pull it out. And guess what happens? It's like as if you never put your hand in that water. It closes back up. The work of the church will go on without missing a beat. Saul may have the thought that he was indispensable by how wrong he was. There are people sometimes in the Lord's church that think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. The church was here before they got here and the church will be here after they're long gone. What you and I need to do is to find an area in which we can serve. And then do the best of our ability. And then when we finish and come to the end of life's road, and when we lay aside this earthly mantle, we then can go home to be with the Lord. But the church is going to stay and go on. The work of the kingdom of God will go on. Now you think about Saul here. And I think about also certain opportunities for work that come up from time to time. And you and I, we have the opportunity to either engage, to either engage in a particular work or, or we can say no. But I'm reminded of the story of Esther in the long ago when Mordecai entreated her to intercede on behalf of her people because of the terrible plot of Haman. And Mordecai said unto Esther, who knows whether you come to the kingdom for such a time as this. But what you need to understand is this. If you're not willing to intercede on behalf of the people of God, listen, God will raise up somebody else. God will raise, you and I, we have the opportunities right here before us. We may choose to do those things that God puts before us, or we may choose to ignore them. And ultimately, God will accomplish his will, and he'll either do it with us or without us. He'd rather do it with us. The will of God is good to be paramount in all things. And so that is why we need to be obedient. 
When you look at the life of Saul, Saul chose to ignore the will of Almighty God. God said, you are disobedient. That's fine. I'll raise up somebody else and I'll use them. And he did. And so what we want to do is to be obedient to the will of God, to do what he says, to do it in the right way, to live in such a way that one day God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let me ask this question. Have you been obedient to the will of God? Have you done what Jesus said to do in his terms of your salvation? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I don't want to hear what any man says. I want to hear what Jesus said. I want to hear what God says. Mark 16, 16. And if you're here tonight and you've not been baptized into Christ, if not, why not? If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're willing to, to repent of those sins and to make that good confession of the sweet name of Jesus, be, be able to put the Lord on the baptism for the remission of your sins, we'd be more than happy to assist you, to encourage you, to build you up. And that when you come up out of the waters of baptism, knowing that you're a child of God and that the world is ready for you to conquer. And you're ready to conquer it. You're ready to tell everybody, guess what I've done? I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And then to live faithfully in that as well. Very important that we have to continue doing what God has asked us to do in accordance to the way that he asked us to do it. And if we falter, well, repent of that. Pray that God will forgive you, Acts 8.22. Make things right, even before it's too late. Can we help you? Those that might be watching online, be sure and call us, text us, write us, tell us, let us know. You want to make things right. We hope that you will. If you're here tonight in need of the gospel call, won't you come?